to learn. My name is Matthew Kroll. And I wish I wasn't human. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film, I Am Mother. Ooh, this is the second mother in the Mother Cinematic Universe. In the Mother Cinematic Universe. It's not mother. Still Uh, the MCU, though. (laughs) There you go. Shahir with the first MCU joke right off the bat. First 10 10 to 15 seconds, I would say. I think Baby Dread coined it best was uh, I used MCU as like a reference to engage you. <laughs> and then I just get excited. And you just get excited, and it's a, it, it puts a happy smile on my you face. You know what, you hear? I understood that reference. Uh, <laughs> welcome, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, we are doing the Netflix sci-fi film that kind of flew under uh, my radar at first. It, I think it was a film that came out that that did get good reviews. We had always intended to do it, but uh, yeah. a little bit of a shift of schedule this week. We were going to be doing Lulu Wong's film, The Farewell, yes. um, but unfortunately couldn't make it out to a screening, so we just wanted to jump on uh, I Am Mother and kind of clear up uh, some of the backlog of films that I always get disappointed by by the end of the year when it's like, oh, I really wish we'd done this film or I really wish we'd done that film to kind of include it in our top ten. Everything I do basically in life is to is to put things on our top ten list. Of course. Of top course. ten things I did this year. Top, time, top ten things I, I messed up on the podcast. <laughs> top ten times I... Had a great coffee. I still, yeah, no, I mean, if only I had that list. No, I I do want to do the farewell. Uh, I do love Aquafina from even back in the code days. Uh, I'm sure she might even remember my name if she saw my face, maybe. Yeah, we we did. I think we both worked with Aquafina. She's great, and she uh, was super fun. And she's been. I mean, I was a I was a fan of hers even before I met her from uh, back in uh, the the music video days of hers with My Vag, directed by Court Dunn, who has been uh, on this show, I believe. Oh, has it? Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Uh, good good stuff. We will get there. Uh, man, the summer is wrapping insanely quickly. Oh, you think it's good? I think we're like in the peak summer right now, so I'm like sweating down to my nipples. Oh, no. (laughs) Temperature-wise, you're 100%. The Earth's going to burn up and we're all going to melt away like a wayward popsicle. What I'm saying is just the timing. Like every week, it's like, oh, by the way, it's this time again. Have you done the podcast yet? What have you seen? And I'm like, no. What? No, I thought it was Monday and it's not Monday. So we, I guess being a Netflix film, uh, this is making it easier on you. However, not being able to escape to the air conditioning of a movie theater is making it maybe a little bit more difficult yeah. We apologize for that. Um, please email us in your thoughts of films that we should definitely see before the end of the year at OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at OnlyMoviePod, as did Dan, who wrote us in about our Spider-Man episode, which uh, went a little bit like this. And I'm just going to say this with a little bit of humble break. Oh, oh good. <laughs> Shahir's point about Iron Man and Peter's world not going together for me highlights the issues I have with the MCU Spidey. That being that it isn't Peter Parker and instead a weird combination of Miles Morales Alice in Far From Home, uh, and in Far From Home, Riri Williams. Uh, for those who don't know, Riri Williams is the newest, latest incarnation of Iron Man mm-hmm. in the uh, in the Iron Man comic books. Uh, uh, in which, and this is a version in which uh, Miles and Riri can exist in the MCU as they are in the comics, because instead Peter is there and as a stand-in for Peter, uh, a- and as a stand-in for Peter is further not able to be his own character. Uh, well, first things first, a humble brag is you can't call it out that it's no longer a humble brag, Shahir. So let's no, well, that is because you're saying a humble brag. 
No, you don't say humble brag. Things just are humble brags. I, I, no, the, the very definite, the very definite defining of a humble brag means it's no longer humble. Uh, the person who defined humble brag <laughs> let's is Let's do on, it. Let's go. No, it was uh, Harris Whittle's uh, Rest in Peace uh, from Parks and Recreation, oh. who, who wrote a book about it called Humble Brag. Um, and uh, it w- I, I think the rules around what a humble brag are are loose, but it's basically the, the punchline to humble brag is to say something and then say humble brag. But you said it first. Does that matter? That's not a punchline. You can't lead with your punchline. Anyway, <laughs> what? Uh, so that that oh, is, semantics with this guy. I love it. That's semantics should be my middle name. No, yeah. uh, I respectfully disagree with uh, Dan's email only Ooh, because. Oh, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa! Uh, whoa I know. Whoa. Um, I think there's plenty of room for Miles and uh, Riri in the MCU as we move down the line. Peter Parker. There's been so many iterations of of Peter Parker and who Peter Parker is. Um, now, granted, the the core lore, let's say, was core he lore. core lore hashtag <laughs> core lore. Yeah, uh, was he was a poor kid from Queens that was always really smart, but it was almost like a junker. Yeah, uh, and like if any tech he had, he sort of built out of nothing, which doesn't quite make sense, especially when you get to you know probably I, I would say the eighties ish run when he's still supposed to be super poor, and he, yeah, he does run out of web flu and whatever, but he always makes like he makes like spider lights and spider bots and spi- you know like it's just he just can just do it. He he has the magic of tech technical know-how so he's always had that and actually in future iterations uh in various things um he forms parker industries he actually becomes sort of a tony stark when tony stark was uh away this is actually in the same runs uh of the comic books as miles and riri so there there are so he, he coexists with miles and riri and is it a is it a kind of batman beyond scenario where he's passed on the torch kind of, you no know, it's it's sort of um so the the god here we go deep 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 the marvel comic books had the ultimate universe and right. then that eventually collapsed in on itself and that brought a few characters over including miles morales so now there's two Spider-Men yeah. uh, in the MCU, from what I understand, though I haven't kept up with fully in the last year, and Riri uh, is is Iron Man. So um, I, I think that there is plenty of room. I think if, if they go sort of the... I don't know what direction they'll actually go to, I, to to match them, but they have been done before. I, I, I think what what Dan's point is is that in the current incarnation, it doesn't feel like uh, well, sure they're not going to launch Morales. Miles and Riri tomorrow. Like <laughs> it's going to be Peter's going to shift. There's going to be space, right. and then they're going to come up and be the better versions of what Peter Peter Parker what Peter Parker's characteristic, and this I guess will be my last thing I'll say about it is he's never. Because of what he he's always pulled in a million different directions, he's only good enough to do one thing at a time. Right. And he's always trying to do all the things at the time, at the same time. And no matter what, if he saves the world, his family life suffers. If he uh, messes up a thing and goes after a, a friend or whatever, uh, his 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 um, they might be safe, but then something dangerous will come down the line. Money always tanks for him because it's just sort of how it goes. Uh, it, it's, he is a classic, like... Uh, one foot forward, two steps back character. And okay. sometimes he gets ahead. Like, I think he's kind of uh, positioned right now in the MCU. But I have a feeling uh, as things sort of move forward, especially with this, uh, the revelations at the end of the last film, which I won't spoil in case you haven't seen it, um, things might go a different way. Okay. Anyway. I, I uh, no, no real opinion about that other than, I guess, my, my only thought uh, about the, the Peter Parker MCU thing right now is it feels... I want more Miles Morales. I want more into the Spider Verse than I do uh, MCU Spider Verse. I bet you, um, at a certain point, they will figure out a way to sort of uh, bend the two worlds together. Kind of like at least in a rules based perspective, 
Like, mm-hmm. if Miles Morales shows up in the MCU... His his uncle has. His uncle has, yeah, yeah. Prowler. Um, no, 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 uh, no, no, Miles Morales' uncle has. Yeah, Prowler. No, Prowler was the... Uh, Prowler, oh, was that uh, was that Danny Glover's character? Was Prowler? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. all right, yeah. Um, so, I don't know. They, they, could easily, they could easily do some multiverse shit if they wanted to, and I think no one would care at this. It's gotten yeah. so weird... Like you could just go. Put me on that list yeah. uh, of not caring. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you very much for that. Again, you can email us in. We've got some interesting things happening on Twitter about uh, Midsummer imagery as well. Check out our episode on Midsummer, which came out last week. We're not going to spoil anything from Midsummer this yes. week, but please check out that film as we both thoroughly enjoy oh, it. Oh, and uh, side note, we were just on another podcast. Uh, we crossed the multiverse ourselves, Shahir. Mm. We were on <laughs> Jacob's Movie Motion uh, to talk about Midsummer. So I think by the time this comes out, that'll be out. So yeah. go check us out invading other people's uh, cinematic universes. It's a fantastic podcast which tries to figure out how you emotionally connect to a film. The podcast is called Movie Motion, M-O-V-I-E-M-O-T-I-O-N. There you go. Uh, spell, spelling bee uh, is you all coming it. back to me. Uh, yeah, no, it's a fun, fun episode uh, between four different states where we're trying to figure out how to emotionally connect with each other when we can't even see uh, each other, and usually we're out of sync with each other. But they're, it's a lot of fun. They're, uh, they're questions that they had for us. Were su- I don't even want to spoil it, but they were real fun. Yeah, uh, really fun. Put me on the spot, like uh, put both of us on the spot yeah. uh, um, in terms of like emotional resonance. So I uh, really enjoyed that. Jacob's also a listener to the show, so shout out to Jacob. What's yes. up, what's up, what's up? All right. So we're into uh, another Netflix film that we haven't talked about in a while, or we haven't actually done a Netflix film in a while, uh, but this one comes from, from Down Under, which makes me excited, uh, from an Australian writer-director by the name of Grant Spator. Yes. Uh, oh, actually, no, he is the director, but uh, uh, there is another writer on this, uh, Michael, Michael Lloyd Green, who might be British, so I won't hold that against them. Um, and you won't hold the, the Australian against uh, the other gentleman either. No, oh, no, of course not. Um, Doesn't although, New Zealand although, and, and Australia have a bit of a, a, a rivalry? And, rivalry? Also, and this week, the, the rivalry between New Zealand and the UK got very, very heated as uh, both of them went into the, uh, into the Cricket World Cup. Uh, and ah. New Zealand lost kind of controversially. Oh. Um, so, uh, irrespective of how many wickets we took, um, <laughs> we're going to jump into the future to I Am Mother. Uh, Matt, do you want to read us the IMDb synopsis I for would, I Am Mother? I would love nothing more than to do just that. A teenage girl is raised underground by a kindly robot, quote, mother, designed to... Uh, uh, repopulate the earth following an extinction of mankind. Uh, but their unique bond is threatened when an inexplicable stranger arrives with alarming news. Alarming news. Yeah. You're being raised by a robot. That's pretty alarming. You're being raised by a robot. <laughs> yeah. But it's not, it's, you know, that's a, that's a whole uh, cave shadow scenario. You don't know that that's weird. So I put this on in the middle of the night last night. Uh, I've been working uh, very long hours. And so this was uh, the last task among many Same. that I put on. And the first thing that freaked me out was the runtime. It was uh, it's it's nearly it's close to two hours and it was, Is it was it? yeah it's close I, to two hours and and I and the only thing that freaked me out about that was that I'm I'm tired and uh, two hours doesn't normally freak me out uh, but I'm very tired and I started watching at midnight I could not turn take my eyes away from this movie yeah and uh, my wife was sort of uh, in the next room <laughs> she heard the baby cry and she came out and she was like and she was like oh what is this movie and she sat down and she started watching oh she watched and, it and she was like man this is great uh, and I look I don't normally do like a non-analytical I just love a thing I just love this thing 
I love this thing pretty unabashedly, and I have so much to say about um, why I think this is um, kind of a work of genius. Um, but more than anything, I think there's been a run of... Um, uh, there's a thing in the short film world of proof of concept science fiction short films, yes, uh, which often turn out to be less than uh, less than stellar in terms of their effectiveness. But it is the when, hot, when they become a feature. You're saying. When they become a feature, but but basically, uh, and you and I both know this. Um, I've taken a bunch of meetings about this, um, but 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 essentially, um, every studio is always impressed by. Uh, a young filmmaker able to create a science fiction short film because yes. because science fiction for whatever reason demonstrates a technical acumen um, and so whenever someone does a short film that demonstrates a technical acumen uh, that is uh, heralded as something very valuable uh, it also um, usually science fiction properties are very sellable much like horror was back in the day we also live in a period where science fiction is much more producible than it used to be I have a theory on why uh, the, the technical acumen like why it's sort of a proof of the person's uh, uh, abilities or whatnot. Yeah. And I think it's because in order to craft a, uh, a compelling sci-fi film, no matter what your budget, no matter yeah. what you're doing, you have to balance all of your elements to make sure that whatever fantastical world you're building is it feels real. Yeah, it's world building. It's it's one more step because you could you have to do that in any film, right? Yeah. But if you're doing like a a, a a a a drama set in the 2000s, like yeah, you got to get that sort of feel right. But at the same time, you're just worried about making people feel like people or yeah. making them feel like however you want them to feel in that constrained space. This is oh yeah, be a real person, but also there's sentient maybe robots mm. and uh, underground bunkers and an extinction level event. But make us believe this, right? And it's it's harder, I think. I, I, well. It's, it's, harder, a, it's more. It's well, more what's to unfortunate do. For, for, for me watching, observing from the sidelines is that there's a lot of incredible dramas, comedies that aren't genre pieces that get looked over yes. in favor, Agreed. in my opinion, of lesser science fiction pieces yep. because the science fiction pieces just have that kind of whiz-pop-bang whiz uh, factor to it. So it's all shiny. Um, so, but this was, in fact, everything I'm saying, this was not a short film, uh, I believe, but this was a uh, a feature-length pitch that was... Um, uh, Since 2016. That was, yeah, that was written and uh, it ended up on the blacklist. Um, and, and the thing is, I think this is... Is the this is the epitome of how of what people are actually looking for in that genre or should be looking for. It's a shame that it hasn't made much more of a splash. Although uh, I can't imagine watching this and going, "We're not going to hire this guy to do a right. hundred different films." Um, then I want to so and and I think the thing that I want to posit uh, for our later on discussion outside of just the things we liked and uh, you know things we think worked. Um, I wondered. Very curiously, and positive, and want to posit as a question: What if the world of um, franchise building looked and felt like this? Because one of the things that I note, I, I kind of felt very strongly while watching this, is that this is a spiritual successor to the Terminator films, and. If the Terminator and, and I think the Terminator films past uh, Terminator Two have all been pretty pretty bad, uh, if a Terminator film felt like this, I think we'd be in a pretty amazing place. And this 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 to me really felt like a spiritual, not necessarily a direct sequel or anything like that, or a thematic it, it, successor, but it's spiritual successor mm. to the Terminator franchise, and that I think it captures the essence 
of what makes Terminator special and and not the and not the whiz pop bang things that we all kind of that I think every movie has just tried to build on. I think it oh, that God. this is a this is a big question. There's no direct, there's no right or wrong answer. I'm just kind of positing it for later. Um, but that that was my initial thoughts as I was watching. I'm it. I'm 50 50 on that. I think uh, I don't again. I think there is no right answer. The, the it, it, Terminator for me beyond um, you know just the action sort of the as you've quoted the whiz bang of it uh, has always been about um, the fear of man's creation sort of destroying us right. Uh, and 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 that destruction in the Terminator films was just killing us because it's only known war. I mean, you could even look at um, I mean, oh God, we just did so many things on extra sci-fi and extra credits. We just did I have no mouth and I must scream, which is basically a a, a, a story where um uh you know the computers of the world eventually linked up, became sentient, and because it was only fed on like military and like killing data, like that's all people became. And then when it killed all the people, it left six alive just to torture because it was so angry or whatever the computer equivalent of angry was that to me is a very terminator feeling thing what's what's even more i think and this is where i, I think it it might be a rather than a spiritual successor and again this is a semantic thing i might even say an evolution mm -hmm. because you know a, a monster coming to kill you because it hates you because it was programmed to hate you is scary yeah. right um a monster that and without getting into too many spoilers, like might still have uh, some best interests of things uh, <laughs> at, at heart behind why it's doing things. Yeah, uh, I think is much more interesting and makes you not. It's there's there's the the baseline. Oh no, I might die. Sort of scary. But then there's the oh god, I might agree with why I'm gonna die. Like there's there's a lot more to think about uh, as for from a humanity perspective in uh, I Am Mother than the Terminator films. Right, and and I think uh, spiritual successor and evolution aren't mutually exclusive. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. Um, so th that was just like, as I was watching it, that was the, the thought that came to mind. But I think, you know, like uncannily, there's a lot of nods to James Cameron's uh, Terminator movie in this, not le least of which the... The uh, the actual uh, it, we see some uh, flying devices that look very reminiscent of uh, Terminator. Oh yeah, uh, the hunter killers. killers. Yeah, and then there's actually a direct moment where um, where it feels like it's a riff straight from Terminator Two. Um, but but I think that that uh, I'm pointing those out as as I think that they're fun more than right. anything. This is a, a film unto itself uh, that is beautifully made, uh, elegantly told, and absolutely captivating. I could, I could not, you know, late in the middle of the night, I could not take my eyes off this thing. And it's funny, too, because, you know, I, full disclosure, as we sort of stated before, we plan on doing a different film this week. Uh, and they were like, well, OK, well, you know what? There's a couple on our back catalog that have looked interesting. But here's the deal. So, you know, a lot of times I watch a Netflix film and I'm like... You know, sometimes they're phenomenal. Roma, like, you know, ha. Huh. But then, like, other times we're just sort of like, all right. I mean, <coughs> Cloverfield Paradise. Well, I mean, that was just a piece of shit. But, the but you know, also a Netflix film. This was, this was not a, a Netflix they produced. They they bought they it. They bought it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And because and it, it did feel like it meant for a theatrical role. I don't know. Like, it, I, I think this is the thing is I wish this movie played in a theater and people went to see it. Because I, I cannot. I, I love this thing so much. I cannot imagine. And it speaks to so such a broad audience. Yeah, you know, like you know that whole four quadrant thing. This speaks so far across those four quadrants yeah. that I can't imagine this thing doing not doing well in the theater. But 
it maybe it's a little slow. Maybe that maybe that's a maybe that's an issue. But but I absolutely. Love I would thing. never call this film slow. Like if if uh, uh, and I know you're not. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying. I know yeah, people yeah. might call it slow in this sort of day and age. But like it's slow. Like Alien is slow. Right. Like Alien's not slow. It's just stuff's not moving super quickly across the screen all the time. Like there's emotional tension being built. Uh, you know, breathing, if you will, uh, in in both films. There. Uh, I think that. Um, I mean, the, the the interesting thing is when I turned this on, I had that like, well, it's a Netflix sci-fi movie. No. Let's see how this goes. Uh, and it was so good. <laughs> I, I actually, in the first 10 minutes I was watching it, then I had to take a call. Yeah. Uh, it was a call I was waiting for all day. And uh, I, I started, rather than talking about the business stuff I had to talk about, I, I just talked talk about, about I was like, you know, I'm not normally this much gushy about this sort of stuff, but I'm 10 minutes into this Netflix sci-fi mm -hmm. film, and I'm like, can I talk about it for a yeah, second? Yeah, yeah. So I talked about it with the person I was on the phone with, and, uh, and then I got went back to it. I was like, I am enjoying myself, and I did throughout. And I think, um, obviously, pacing and the way it sort of sets itself up is in the very beginning of sort of showing uh, Mother the robot waking up and growing uh, the first person and you know the, the child growing up, et cetera, is very um, effective. But also, man... The art direction and the set design and the way that they've built tech yeah. uh, felt so real and possible. And it's so funny because it gets through a bunch within the first 10 or 15 minutes. I'm writing my notes and I'm watching it and I'm just like, this is beautiful. I can't believe it. And I was like, oh, wait, I got to stop gushing about this. I need a criticism. I was like, no, because like sometimes I worry that like my own fanboy will be showing and like I can't actually, like there has to be something a little bit off somewhere. So I was like, that's hmm. not how criticism works. Uh, it is for me. Sometimes I worry that you I'm- don't, You don't need to have a negative. I, I understand you don't need to have a negative. Yeah. I think you can find a negative in anything if you look hard enough. I mean, that's a shitty way of, sort yeah, of thinking. A, yeah, but, 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 but like the, to say something is, for instance, perfect is not constructive. Well, because then there's no room for improvement. Then why make more stuff? You know, unless, unless you truly think it's perfect and you have a reason for saying that. Right, but then it's like, well, why keep watching movies? Just keep watching that one again. Anyway, this is, we're getting off track. My point is, I was like, okay, I was like, I was like, I wonder if there's anything here that I'm not enjoying. Right, and then I was like, oh well, you know what? Here's a facility underground where it seems like for years nothing broke down and like it's just tech that just keeps working. And I literally started writing, uh, love a tech world that never breaks. And then it shows her fixing mother, or the daughter fixing mother's hand because it broke. And I was like, cross it out. Cross that like, out. They, like, Every like it was only happened once or twice, but every time where I'm like, this could break my uh, my immersion. Oh nope, it didn't. Yeah, the, I mean, I I think you could if you wanted to nitpick little story elements like like there's a person who enters the film later on and there's a question mark around how this person has survived uh, for so long. But but um but I but but I I I I, I do. I know we're not going to go down this rabbit hole, and I don't want to make a point of this, but I don't I don't think. That's looking for something negative is is I, I I don't think that's a that's a really positive way to do it. Like seeing something negative sure. and noting it. But you never you never think to yourself when you're watching anything. Yeah. Uh, when you're just like, oh, well, you even said you even said at the beginning of this thing where you're like, you normally don't go into the, these things on just like, oh my god, I just love this thing. What was it exactly you said? I, I don't I don't always no. My point there is I always want to have like a point of a, a point of criticism. That's I, no, no, ah! not, sorry. Ah! But I'm not using criticism in the same way you're using it. Point of criticism, criticism is the ability to engage with a topic. Right. It's not that, not that, criticism as in I'm criticizing you. It's engaging in the art of criticism. I, I, literary I'm talking criticism. about that sort of thing too. I think yeah. I might have just worded it differently. Right. But I, I, I and again, I'm, I'm not being. I, I just think 
if you see something that you don't like, that r- respond to it. But if you don't, then there's no reason. But to, I. Did, but to, that's my point. I did see a thing. I was like, oh wait, I, I, I maybe I worded it wrong. Yeah. I was engaged with the film. Yeah. I then was like, huh, this is a little weird that the super clean thing works for 30 years and nothing breaks. Oh, there's something broken. Right. Like, it was that moment of my brain was like, maybe there's something. Oh, right. nope. Like, and, I, maybe and, and I painted that and, too and, much like no, I was here, looking here, for a thing. Just, here's how I would phrase what you're saying is. The 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 sustainability of the technology is, is slightly stretches credulity, right? But that's essentially what you're saying. Right. I but, thought that, and then it addressed it. And then it addressed it. But, but, but... You like know, like, instantly. It, yeah, it, it, instantly. The timing was perfect. Yeah, and I, you know, like I, I don't think that's a particular like. And I know you immediately credited, but I, uh, it immediately corrected that for you. But I don't think that's a strong point of contention against this film. I'm not saying that. Yeah. I'm literally. I'm literally. Stop <laughs> trying to make me disagree with you. I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Moving on. Uh, because you know, this is going to be one of those episodes, and and I think part of this is also the process of discovery as well. This is a yeah. film that you know, like, isn't playing very far and wide. It's not talked about super much. It came out. People who saw it enjoyed it. It's got a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, but a 73% from an audience score. And the audience Weird. score. And the audience score. You know, is things like. Like the whole storyline was real. I'm reading some of the comments yeah. right now. Uh, the whole storyline was really bad. Prepare for a letdown ending. Um, the a film was a little. Uh, film was a little dark for me. Um, <laughs> you know, like things like that. And I and I, I I. There's a point at which we, you know, like, and we've talked about the disparity between the discrepancy between the uh, audience score and the critic score. Um, and you know, like for example, in the Marvel's world, for example, that that. Uh, relationship has flipped around, um, and I I wonder. Part of me wonders about whether the audience is right and and the critics are wrong, or whether the critics are like trying to drag the audience into a place that that they believe. I, I, it's a it's a bit of a mixture of both because ultimately the things that oftentimes the things that are critically reviled make a ton of money. People a lot of people see and engage with it. The things that critics love don't tend to make a lot of money and and don't get seen. So I'm like I'm there's no balance to this equation that actually makes correct sense like in the ideal scenario for for me uh, you know like speaking broadly i would love it if films that critics loved and engaged with were the films that went on and made a lot of money because people saw the value in them in their engagement like we talked about this uh, we were on a podcast called the test of time a, a little bit uh, earlier this year and we talked about a film called sorcerer uh, by william friedkin and one of the things william friedkin talked about very uh, pot- uh very powerfully was that how prior to star wars audiences never even considered how much money a movie made. Like they never, you know, there was never any conversations of you should go see this because the box office is so huge. And, and I, I wonder about that push and pull in the dynamic of the cinematic world that we live in. Are right you now. saying there might be some unintended negative consequences to capitalism? Uh, I think I'm positing the question. <laughs> it's it's funny. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think that, I, I think that's an interesting, interesting thing. Regardless, I am, a hundred percent unabashedly in love with this movie. Here's why I'm going to say something uh, not about the negative about the MCU, but negative about what the MCU has wrought um, or, or things like it. Um, I, I think people know at this point, I seem to like, you know, I'm obviously a big fanboy of that sort of stuff and the, and the uh, summer blockbuster reaction stuff, of course. But I don't think I could be a fan of all of those things if I also wasn't a fan of um, uh, deeper, uh, more consistently psychological, I will say, uh, cinema. Because 
I need to for for my uh, viewing diet. I need all stuff. I obviously the food pyramid is bullshit, but like you do need to. Uh, when when fueling yourself, no matter how you're describing it, uh, too much of one thing is always bad for you. And uh, I worry that um, people that say watch this and are like, oh, it's too slow or like disappointing ending are people that uh, have been trained so much uh, in what they watch and not sort of going outside of their comfort zones quite a bit. Um, and that that sucks. Uh I, I I hope I, what I hope if, there, if there's one <laughs> this is gonna be a weird statement if there is one uh, uh, boon that I would like to uh, this podcast to do for people is no matter what side of this coin you're on if you're on Shahir's side or my side or 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 or, or if are, we, it, are we even on opposite? I don't side know. We're not on this one, but like or if the if you're literally that that one in a million chance where the coin lands on its edge. Um, I hope that we cover enough of a breadth of cinema here where uh, if you came here for Spider-Man Far From Home, you could also, uh, you know, also Leave take with away I'm a, with, with I Am Mother or, or Burning or, you know, <laughs> so, you know, something uh, something else or vice versa, uh, because I do really think that the the way to uh, have a sort of healthy mind about these sort of things is to engage in in all different types of it. Uh, and this this movie was such a good uh, such a pleasant surprise for me and such a, a a missing element in what I feel a lot of sci-fi is trying to do uh, these days in, in terms of pacing, in terms of if actually having something to say right. and not getting lost in its own weeds by the end. Right. Um, yeah, I, I dug it, and I, it was such it was it was a breath of fresh air uh, at the end of my Tuesday evening uh, when I was overworked and I was just sort of like I don't know if I okay and same thing here I just watched it and I was like yep yeah. here we go yeah yeah uh, and I was I was on my edge of the seat uh, pretty much till the end uh, and I think I I think the reason is is that there's so much meat on this film to chew on in terms of what it's asking philosophically and i and to me that was the sort of most interesting parts of terminator yeah. and the you know terminator 1 and terminator 2 um <laughs> is is the is the 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 sense that there is a philosophy to to what is happening in these in you know like can a robot take care and feel an emotion for something even though it's pre-programmed to my favorite parts were the catchphrases in this film? No, in Terminator 2. Okay, all right, gotcha. <laughs> so that's the two sides Chill of the Chill out, yeah, dickwad. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's the two sides. Of the, yeah, that's the <laughs> philosophy I'm talking about. You know, should you relax when your, sta you know, when your state of mind is one of being a dickwad? Yeah. Um, no, the, the, I think the film really cleverly sits up this idea right at the beginning, and it's through this medical, uh, medical philosophy that, it, uh, that uh, question that is asked of daughter at one point. Yeah, yeah the mother's teaching a class, and there's yeah. like a, a cool holographic classroom. Yeah, and, and the question that mother asks uh, I think is kind of uh, the key to the entire film here which is that uh, there are five patients who all require five uh, five organs uh, a patient comes in who is ill uh, and uh, is a candidate match for all five uh, for all five people if you, the uh, if the doctor doesn't care uh, you know delays care the patient will simply die and five other people will get the organs they need However, the question is, is that should that, however, if the person, if the doctor doesn't, uh, helps this person, the other five will likely die. 
So the question there is uh, obviously, you know, like the medical, uh, the uh, the ethics of medical treatment, and and who ca- who is entitled to care, and you know, like uh, what is the is the greater good um, um, uh, uh, an appropriate philosophy when you're wi- when you're taking someone's life, um, and I think I think you know that there are obviously uh, a lot of uh, uh, philosophical texts on this on this particular subject, um, and daughter even asks the right questions by the end of that sort of statement of the classroom being like, well, yeah, there's the sheer numbers of it, but also who are these people? And then who are, who am I to judge who these people are? Yeah, I think I think the question she asks is is a sort of more information gathering uh, exercise, and I think I think that question is irrelevant to the to the sort of the thought process because the thought process is is it doesn't matter does uh, are you only going to help people for whom you have judged um, to be worthy of your help? Uh, well, there's and, two and, sides and, of that. Yeah, of course. You know, and 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 I think the question that's being asked there more broadly is uh, is one person's life more uh, willing to sacrifice over the greater good, which is a question that comes into play later on in the film. Um, and I, I I think the the reason why this film works so well is that 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 philosophical underpinning to what the film is is so strongly set up. And so strongly played out throughout the entirety of the film, and it never feels like the film ever gives way to just have a big whiz bang action sequence. It does have fairly exciting tense sequences later on in the film, but it never feels like they're at the sake of that philo- philosophical question. Well, the, the thing is, you know, we, we talk about like what's best for the greater good, or how do you serve the greater good. The thing about this film that's actually really, really amazing, and we'll get into spoilers in a minute. But yeah, there's that question, mm-hmm. and it doesn't really answer it because you really can't. And then uh, Emmanuel it, can't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but then it then takes it even a step further, and and is like, yeah. Who's greater good? Yeah. What is greater good? How do you define the greater good? And it's like you're like, oh no. Well, that, <laughs> like, I mean, that's what that question. You know, like you know, these philosophical questions are sort of designed to ask to, to elevate you to that second level of it. Yeah. And this yeah. movie does that very, very well with how it reveals the why of what's going on. And the why is uh is is kind of surprising in that it's not a it's not tropey. It it, it yeah yeah it doesn't feel like there is a sort of uh. The film is probing the question and pondering it and asking questions. It doesn't definitively come down on good or bad or this is right and this is wrong. It kind of opens that question up, which I think, you know, again, the reason why I think this is a spiritual successor to Terminator is the is the greatest one of the greatest elements of Terminator Two, for example, is the long road at the end of it. You know, like that shot of the winding road where she, where um, Sarah Connor basically says, "I don't know what the future holds, but I'm hopeful." And that you know, like she's the future could be terrible, the future could be great. It's basically pondering that question. And I think the 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 sort of okay, so the the ac, um, the sort of business side of me goes, this is the person whom should be given the helm of a franchise like that. And they should be given the helm with the freedom to make a tiny film within this franchise, to make a story within this franchise that is not about setting up another film, but telling a tiny story within it that, that essentially underpins what makes this franchise interesting. 
Um, there, I think two things you said there aren't mutually exclusive. You could do both and still set up for a thing. Like you can, you can you, do both. You, it just you, doesn't happen. Terribly it doesn't often. happen terribly often. Um, and uh, I the, the, the so again this this film just got my brain thinking about yeah. a lot of things. Um, the one the other thing that it got me thinking about was uh, there's there's this exercise we did in design class um, in year one of design class, which I it, it's basically become like a. Uh, uh, a way I approach life kind of thing, and I think this film kind of plays into it. But essentially, we were told to um, to go and model, uh, to, to look at a space, um, and I was given like a, a harbor dock, uh, and, and to create a model of it, which is not... Um, which is not a one-to-one representation of it, but takes the essence of it and can be its own thing. Right. And so the idea is that you're supposed to create kind of like a sculpture or something like mm-hmm. that, which evokes the feeling of that place, but is not a representation. Like the worst, the 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 absolute wrong answer is to do a model of a dog. Right. Um, and I and and that's kind of what I thought about this film in that in that. I don't think it's directly trying to be a successor to Terminator, for example. I just think it ends up being that by by essentially taking the essence of what is interesting of Terminator and modeling it and creating and creating something that is unto itself, which is this idea of the relationship between algorithm and free will. Well, it's also it's also it's an elevation. It's a it's an evolution of it. Like the it you know it's it's uh, robots. Uh, now we're going to get into I, I, at this point. Let's just say yeah. we're going to be getting into spoilers because yeah. it's hard to talk about the stuff without getting into it. So yeah. if you haven't go seen it, pause us. Go watch the wonderful two hours, then come back. Oh, yeah. hi, how you doing? Uh, th- th- this starts positing, you know, d- depending on the evil robots programmed philosophy, is it evil? Yeah. Like Terminator, you're like, nowhere in the story is it ever like, oh, they're doing it for a good reason, a, a possible good reason, uh, other than like kill human bad nonsense like it's again i think it goes back terminator is a bit more of a have no mouth and i'm a scream scenario where like computers were trained to hate therefore they hate um i don't think computers are trained to hate i think they're trained to make an that that's the interesting thing they're trained to make an algorithmic decision of like what is the greater good right no not not in terminator terminator is is they were machines of war and then they realized they had sort of uh, i guess uh, no they made a calculation they that made a calculation but like not in the, so their calculation in terminator is uh greater good of i guess the planet yeah. so they kill all the people yeah that's what they're doing and i am mother the greater good is still for humans it's just what the what the algorithm considers the greater good for humans yeah and and it gets into this question because what happens later on is we reveal that uh daughter is not the first daughter that has been uh that has been birthed into the world and and the failure of the previous daughters uh has has led them to uh, uh to to sort of doing this sort of almost uh um uh, I guess selective breeding yep. process. Although, although I will say, mother's selective breeding process was really flawed, which is that uh, she wasn't breeding; she was basically taking isolated cases and hoping that they would turn out, as opposed to you know, like in genetics, taking taking the best of this person and and splicing sure. it in with this sure. person. Sure, she was doing what humans have been doing with dogs, uh, for instance. For well, with with dogs is what is you know, like for example, the breeding of foxes has 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 a long story of like how bro- foxes became domesticated. We never, but I'm saying I I do believe that Mother's plan would eventually get there with the yeah, breeding of the type. She's she's creating the proto people to then breed with. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and if they don't measure up, something I thought was really smart about this movie was the line that I said in the beginning: "Mothers need time to learn." Yeah. And at first, when you uh, when we first found out that um uh that there were other kids and they were uh that they were uh basically their remains were incinerated. 
the way they play this character of mother, I was on mother's side for most of this film. Yeah. And I was like, I bet you it's a misunderstanding. <laughs> I bet you like the line of it takes mothers a long time to learn would be like her basically. And it's a horrible thought, but a machine raising a child, there's going to be accidents. And like, I thought it was like, she accidentally killed kids <laughs> as she was, I, th I thought it was going to go that route of like questioning, like right. it can't do this great the first time. Yeah. Of course it doesn't do that, but I liked that my brain went there and yeah. that it did it. it, it another subversion again where i was like oh yeah it, the, the text is open enough that you could interpret it and in, or you could you could allow yourself the room to interpret it in many Until, ways i think it has a very definitive uh of the what happened and why i think it has a definitive in terms, ending. In terms of what mother was doing yes but what uh, but 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 i liked that i didn't uh up until the end i didn't have a clear eyed like it left me guessing the motivations of what mother was doing. Yeah, and I think the ending is kind of that 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 opens that question because ultimately mother um, posits the self sacrifice that is that it you know like uh, she sort of takes in the she accepts the self sacrifice that she posited originally in that medical question you know like because essentially uh, what daughter says in that sequence is like if I'm giving up my life then I think that's okay I'm expected to, to, to take on the bread but I can't choose that for somebody else yeah. and mother makes that choice at the end by allowing daughter to shoot her but of course she doesn't really because mother is part of a, a, a greater con uh, consciousness and she also there's a final sequence with Hilary Swank which realizes that mother's role in all of this has been slightly i'm not sure if insidious is the word but but uh, slightly meticulous yeah uh, slightly more uh, involved involved and i you know like i want the question i pondered was like uh was the source of embryos uh hillary swank you know like what oh interesting no i i took it as I, again, I don't know because the film doesn't really talk about like first it, it lies in the beginning of the film and it's like, oh, there was a plague and humanity died and that's why we're here and you can't go outside because the contagions and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Turns out that's not the case. Seems like robots just killed a bunch of people. Uh, no, uh, is that the case? I, th I think they, they, they talk about how humans died out. But they didn't say why. Well, they they talked about humans. Robots are certainly killing humans now. Yeah, well, because they want they they were basically killing humans. Well, or were they? Because because Hillary Swank's character, uh, who does she have a name? No, she's she's woman. She's woman. Um, says that they flooded out the the mine shafts, which is where the. But the, here's the thing that could have happened. So this is what I love about this yeah. movie. The stuff that the human characters are talking about, like they talk about in terms of like a human being's lifespan, right? Mother's playing like hundreds or thousands of years game. Yeah, here. well, she's a, she's a because she, yeah, her lifespan it, yeah, or is it, that. its life, I should yeah. say the the and so they're talking about like oh the the machines came and stormed the caves or whatever. Like we don't actually know why the machines started killing the people. Right. Maybe there was a plague and people were going crazy and then they had to do it and they and their motivation was programmed to save humanity and the way they thought to do it was start it again under the tutelage of their own the programmed code of ethics that they sort of have. Yeah. Maybe it, maybe they saw the earth in a Terminator-esque sort of scenario where it's just keep people just killing each other in senseless wars and they're like, yeah, we can end this and do it better. But we can do it better based on what humans taught us was ethical because they're not acting ethically. So maybe they did then swarm and destroy all the humans in a great war. It never goes into that. I think there's a certain uh, degree of imagery towards the end as um, uh, mother and woman are walking across the sort of barren landscape, which suggests that there was- Mother a, and woman? Yeah, mother, uh, Hillary, mother uh, sorry, daughter and woman. Yeah, walking yeah. across the landscape yeah. uh, and we and we see sort of um, 
a a barren lands you know like a barren ground yeah. where where things don't grow uh and then they're passing oil wells and rigs and things like that as in it might the implication to me is that there is a, a resource problem and a an eventual oh, dying the, uh, dying out of the ability to grow food maybe it's an environmental thing yeah maybe it's a uh, thing it felt, that humans, it like, maybe humans killed the killed the the ability to sustain their own population and, and then they're yeah yeah and then and then you know uh a woman talks you know hillary swank's character talks about how uh she'd never she'd never seen crops grow but suddenly in the last, you know, suddenly crops are starting to grow and they're, the, the machines seem to be cultivating a process for like growing food. So this is the interesting thing because machines don't need food unless they need, you know, unless they're using cornstarch oil or something like that. Um, but, but they're essentially cultivating food again for uh, a reemergence of the human population. Yeah, that they have then hopefully trained to be ethical and not destroy the planet. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I loved I loved the design of the corn machines. Mm -hmm. Like those just long rows of like giant arms that were just like moving yeah. uh, across the thing. And we saw the hunter killer, what looked like the hunter killer and that was to me, I was like, oh that's the most that's the most overt reference to right. the Terminator franchise. Um, but I, I, you know, I just, I kind of watched this and go, man, God, imagine if we lived in a world where Terminator whatever was this film. Yeah, maybe. You know, I mean, but here's the thing. We have this film. Like, yeah. I I like Terminator for its its Terminator has some and I'm specifically talking about one and two. Yeah. Those are the uh, only ones we're really worth talking about. Has um a good sort of simplified like I would say like a 101 level of philosophy to it. Right, I, I, I would, I would posit that it's slightly deeper than that. But, but this, but but something like this is a is like a three hundred one or a four hundred. Like it's it's <laughs> it's like because there's there's layer upon layer with it. Yeah. So I like again. I go back to my. I sometimes do want evil robots who just think they're good, and I can get behind the humans because the, obviously the robots are wrong. And this film, I'm like. Uh, yeah. Uh. It actually, you know, uh, so one of the things I, I always like to do uh, is to think about the references that the film posits towards you, um, because I think those references are key to, to, to just thinking about what the filmmaker might be thinking about. They're not, they shouldn't be treated as canon or anything like that or, or as absolute, but they're, you know, it's interesting to look at what the filmmaker is drawing upon. Uh, one uh, to me is the, uh, uh, it felt like a lot of this film was drawing on the, uh, the works of the artist Simon Stahlhag. Mm. Have you seen any of his? No. Uh, his, he does these post-apocalyptic paintings where machine, there, there's been like a kind of fallout between machines and humanity and we're kind of living in a world where uh, there's a sort of negotiated space between those two things. Okay. So you see things like robots acting as nannies um, for for little kids or little kids playing around with like toy guns and they happen to be playing around the foot of a giant robot or, um, you know, things like that. So yeah. there's, there's been this fallout. So I felt like the uh, the work is kind of uh, leading there. The other one is the book that uh, Hilary Swank is... Um, is uh, drawing her pictures in, which is the God of Mars uh -huh. uh, by Rice Edgar, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs. Uh, he wrote the um, the John Carter from Mars yeah, yeah, yeah. series, yeah. Uh, which is this idea of like this uh, alternate landscape where humanity has no has no place. And and God of Mars is an interesting one because it's kind of like a, a small story within that bigger world, um, or a smaller story within that bigger world. And I I I think that that approach. Uh, is is really 
fruitful in this case you know like like the the sort of you know ultimately the this film ticks so many boxes that work so well you know like again i i thought of uh um the film we reviewed a couple of years ago 10 cloverfield lane ah, uh, yes. you know like that sort of sense of shout out to dan tracton dan tracton uh, yeah. who just he's, redid the warframe warframe opening and he's about amazing. to be doing the uncharted film yep um and and you know like i thought about that sort of self-contained cinema of doubt you know like where where a character is doubting the 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 sort of the truth that has been presented to them, sure, and and you know like has to negotiate whether that truth it still holds, um, and this character of daughter kind of has to do that several times over. I thought about the film Moon a lot, you yep. know, the Duncan Jones yep. film with this uh, sort of sentient uh, artificial intelligence that is ultimately there to help this this character that is entirely isolated. That is ultimately there to <laughs> not let us watch that film anymore because it's the voice of a problematic actor. <laughs> oh yeah, there is that. Yeah, there is that. I'm kidding. Uh, I'm I, not. I'm I, kidding. I don't know. Yeah. I really enjoyed Rose Byrne's voice in this yeah. film. I think she did uh, really great. Something interesting. We've been talking for roughly 45 minutes about this film, and you know it's good because, and this is a weird thing, we didn't talk about, like, like we've just been talking about the film as the film. Right. We And we talked a little bit about the art direction stuff, but the, the, the performances in this movie all around are phenomenal. Uh, first and foremost, uh, I'll even say your boy, Luke Hawker. So I, I know I've met, Luke Hawker a couple of times. I've worked on projects around him. Um, he's an actor from Wellington, New Zealand. He works at Weta Workshop. He, he was the work. lead director on the Mother uh, yeah. Robot, which is actually him. Yeah, he's the actor in, in this suit they designed. I loved when it, it, it reminded me of Interstellar, for example, when when Mother started running, uh, and it was that sense of like you've you've watched this design kind of walk around in one scenario, yeah. and then suddenly they they shift to another scenario, and you realize the design has broader implications. You know, in, in Interstellar, you saw uh, it was uh, the the cube robots yeah. that eventually realized. and this mother goes from like a dotting like yeah like Rosie the robot from the Jetsons all that rolled, but uh and he and then like when something hits the fan, mother snaps into like a battle esque mode and starts like soldier running. There's there's so many subtle hints in the design of this robot that is so well done. So, for example, one thing I noticed is when Mother was walking away, uh, and it was a reverse shot, that she has slightly wider hips than a robot probably would need. Yeah. And that's, you know, indicative of, of what her role is in this, which is that sort of maternal thing. Yeah. And I love the the design of her... Uh, the heat pads yeah, on heat, the arms heat and the pads stomach. On her, on her to arm, hold babies. To hold the baby. And then she has this sort of, like, uh, music player uh, in her arm, and she's Playing Moon River. And I love the design of her... Uh, like, so much in... in sort of um, uh, hard objects like this. The, the, the challenge is how do you express emotion through a hard object? And the, uh, the face is very, very good. Yeah, the face has basically these these two sort of circular... Um, One eye in the center and then two circular <laughs> um, basically <laughs> uh, buttons, let's call them, <laughs> that like go on a, on a yeah. half circle and they move up and down and, in I, and, and it's And you're, you're looking at it going, I'm not sure it's intended to look like this, but it whenever she expresses some sense of joy, it looks like a smile. Yeah, it moves you know? to yeah the points yeah. where to smile. And I thought be. that was just such a it's such a great uh, consideration of design. Uh, I was watching a I, I watched like this half hour interview with Luke uh, mm. about the design of the robot and all mm. the different things. It's like so he weighs like 145 pounds. Yeah, he's a very uh, slight guy. Uh, this Good looking suit, man. Too. This suit wore ninety. It weighed ninety. Right, right. Uh, he designed it down to every sort of uh, millimeter of his body because otherwise he wouldn't be able to do the things he needed. He was talking about like there was a joint like just in the in the elbow joint. He had to sand something for a day to get it down a millimeter to make sure that like his elbow would work. He like made sure the bicep rings and the ball bearings all match his measurements. And it was so many different materials yeah. uh, to the point where he said uh, the most expensive part of the entire movie <laughs> 
was Mother's hands. Right. Because he's a small guy, but he's actually like me. He has big hands. Yeah. And uh, he was like, he didn't humble, want... Humble break. Comic... <laughs> What's that? Oh, because hand size... Uh, spoiler alert, hand size and mm. penis size, totally not incongruent? I don't know. Uh, ask the President of the United States. Oh, no! Uh, but the... the uh, he was worried that the robot would have like just these dumb big hands. So they spent the majority of or a lot of their budget on making uh, the hands are made out of actually um, what's it called? It's um, uh, scented titanium. Okay. And it's two millimeters thick across all of the pieces, so it can actually maneuver. He can actually, he can and actually it's light enough, and it digit. moves and whatever. And uh, the interviewer, when they were looking at it, like they both sort of nerded out because they were both machinists. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, this shouldn't be able to, like, not, this has never been like built like this before, but right. they needed it to have because Mother has to do very specific, precise things. Yeah. Other cool stuff, uh, the way he saw in the suit uh, was through basically uh, the same type of optic cameras that drone pilots use. Uh, so like it's like a it's like a almost like a stereoscopic 3D thing where it's like a uh, you kind of sort of see in 3D you put it you, oh you you mean the actor in the, the actor suit, inside in, loop in the suit okay. and so he could actually see and granted he didn't have any periphery and he had to rely on his team to sort of take care of him on the sides but right. like they first tried to like make it so he could see through some of the stuff and it just didn't work so they had to put cameras in and whatnot I mean obviously this is the the, the sort of fundamental thing here is that it's a live practical effect and, yeah and that's and what it, it shows and helps and God just do this more. I, I go back to I was it's talking expensive to, though I know but dump but but like that's where your money should go like a lot of times depending on, like for instance when they get outside of the bunker yeah it's very uh, green screen you can you can tell I think it's an augmentation of like real locations I, I mean a lot I, I don't think that they were ever off of a studio. I honestly I, I, don't think so. Oh, we we should look it up because the beach thing felt like it was they were on. Oh, uh, maybe sp- they walked to the beach. Yes, uh, the, but like when they were in the um, the, I don't the barren know, field, the barren field on the beach when it wasn't the water. Yeah. Like everything did feel green screen to me, which is fine. But like that—that's that's sort of my point. <laughs> I they they knew they had a certain amount of money, and yeah. they knew what was the important element versus what they could dump more money into to make look four percent better. Right, like, and that's just smart producing. And when you're having a, I mean, Mother is one of the main characters, right? And if it was a CG robot, I just don't think you could pull off the type of things you'd need to pull off with Mother. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I've been for the last week. I don't know why this has been my relaxation binge. Is watching um, a bunch of um, filmmaking reality shows like Project Greenlight. Ah. And the chair, and uh, and you. The reason I watch them is I, I think it reminds me of the challenge that every film uh, comes up. You know, every film is a miracle essentially. But but in the last season of Project Greenlight, there was this like real push for the director to shoot on film. It was like this famous thing. It, it memed all over the uh, all over the internet when it came out in 2014. Uh, and basically, the director was given a choice: you can have three hundred thousand dollars to shoot this film on film, or you can have two extra shooting days. And the director chose to shoot on film. And I think the thing that you're talking about there is that is the is the subtle choices that you have to make um, for the for the success and health of the film. Yes. Uh, at the sacrifice of other things. Yeah. And like you know, one of the sacrifice. Although, you know, there's no part of me that goes if you're not interested in sort of a production management, you know, production of films. If you're watching this, I don't think anything feels compromised. Like nothing, nothing when you no. watch it feels like oh they had a low budget. Like it feels like. You're saying the, outside of being sort of uh, industry person? 
yeah, like looking say, at it, it like it, in that it, way. Yeah, if you're a general audience member, there's nothing in this that that looks and sure. feels yeah, cheap yeah, yeah. or or yep. that like they had to compromise on a certain vision. It feels like the vision was the thing that was articulate. You know, we talked about this on Hereditary, um, where the the film was kind of designed. You know, like they built the sets for that film, and it it seems like an odd choice because you could just it was just a house but it was so integral to the design of the film yes. that kind of made sense and it was like the production really like understood that and I think that that's a you know what you're talking about in terms of the articulation of this of course they've got they managed to get the infrastructure of Weta Workshop behind yeah. this which uh, for those who aren't involved in the industry Weta Workshop Weta Digital are two of the best uh, both practical and visual and post-production visual effects houses in the world both in New Zealand shout out to my hometown Wellington um, humble brag humble brag is that a humble brag for me that's more <laughs> of like a that's more of like generalized a humble brag no that's a shout out because i'm not involved with any of those two places i'm just like celebrating that they exist humble brag was if i were if i owned uh we had a workshop if i worked there or i was somehow involved with those places i'm not uh yeah, yeah but you know a bunch i'm of from the there. place yeah, yeah. i mean that's like saying that oh uh, humble brag new york produced martin scorsese that's because of you know humble brag, humble brag. that makes I mean, no the, sense the rules, I, 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 the rules of the humble rules brag i'm gonna make it so nebulous yeah. that it will not work anymore right you should there uh, there's a great humble episode, brag there's a great episode of <laughs> Comedy bra- Bang Bang with Harris Whittles talking about humble brag. Rest in peace, Harris Whittles. No. Um, yeah, no, I think I, 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 there's so much to chew on on this film. And I think, you know, you, you, you posited the question that it's not fruitful to say something is a perfect film, right? I, 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 I would think, and, and uh, I, I'm, I, I'm know, right I, now, yes, sure. Let's I'm go with str- it. I'm struggling to think of anything in this film that fundamentally doesn't work in a way that negates its overall style and, and like I would what it's like, trying to do what it's trying to do and I and I and I would say that is uh, uh, you know a degree of perfection that I think is really seen see now we're getting into a very dangerous territory here right because You're, what's the implication of saying perfection uh, well like so for instance let's say because we both love this film and we can't find anything that it's doing that's particularly damage what it's trying to do mm. that we think it's like a perfect film right yeah no. uh, the the problem is, mm. and it rotates back with different viewers and different audiences and et cetera. Uh, and I'm not saying this is me, yeah. but I could also see, let's just go back to a popcorny nonsense movie, Spider-Man Far From Home. Right. Someone could say, that's a perfect film because mm-hmm. it did exactly what I thought it was going to do and what I wanted it to do and what I think the directors were trying to do. And then if we said that this was we would be like we can't say that that person's incorrect either because it's it's all about I mean, we even go back to the, the the critic reviews versus the uh audience reviews of this film like right. people were like oh it's slow the ending's dumb and i, I know those aren't like constructive things mm. to say right but but it, it, we get into a like a bit of a of a slope I th- there i think the broader implication of what you're saying is that a critic can't make a uh can't make um, rationalized choices. I think again, it goes that, back. That's to, what it, concerns it goes me back about to, what you're saying. It goes back to wording. We, I don't think anyone can say, "I am mother" is a perfect film. I think someone can say, "I am mother" is a perfect film for me. Right. Uh, because again, the definition of perfection is a bit, and, and then and then you want to go into like, and it's you're real. Your middle name really should be changed to some. Names. I know, I know, but but I think it's kind of important. It's, I find it very interesting too mm. because. Okay, even let's 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 go down the hole. Uh if I said I am mother is a perfect film for me. Right. It's a little bit weird because then the idea of perfection would mean like this is the everything that this movie did is exactly what I want. But then if something else comes out, 
right? I, 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 no, not necessarily. Okay, fix, not fix what I'm saying here. Well, because, uh, you know, like, we've had this discussion before about Guillermo del Toro, for example, where mm-hmm. I've, I've said I think his films are perfect films. Like, I, I think... Um, I'm uh, not the shape of water, but um, uh, what was the one? Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth is like, in my in my estimation, a perfect film. Like mm-hmm. I, I, it, I didn't quite respond to it, per, you know, per se, but I think it's a perf- perfect film. Wait, and wait, what? We we've had this conversation. <laughs> I know. Wait, yeah. say it again. You didn't respond to it, but it's a perfect film. Yeah. Then yeah. how is it a perfect film? Because if you I, didn't I, I, respond think, I think to it. everything that that film is sitting out to do, it does brilliantly, and it and it executes it really so you well. Think but on, a, on a technical level, not, not on a technical level. I th- I I personally, for some reason whatever reason i didn't quite respond to it well, but then I, what but are I the think, levels i guess is but, uh, but but that's my response to it and i and i but i still think i cannot fault any moment in that film for not working or not doing exactly what it is intended to do and exactly what it intended to do beautifully so you're now positing that you know exactly what they were trying to do even though it was something that would not resonate with you and they executed that to perfection I I I think there's a there's uh, we've talked about this on that. Episode. I know well, I'm yeah, talking yeah. about it again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is that is that for me that film didn't quite resonate. There was just a moment where I think if the film was to truly 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 land for me, then there would be a moment of excitement, and it didn't quite happen to me. But I can certainly see that the moment is there, and it happens, and it's beautiful, and it's executed perfectly. So here's my question. I love I love this. <laughs> Is there a film? Is there a modification? And and this is sort of the no. t- so so that film. There's no way that it could be modified at all. Now I'm not saying now. I'm saying like in its inception, like mm. taking that thing and to make it both a I, perfect I, I, film I, and that resonates with you. Because I, if there. Here's here's one thing I would say about it is I watch it and acknowledge that in the right context I might feel that way on a different viewing, uh, but so but it's I, subjective. I, yeah, well, I mean the, the, crit- criticism is subjective. Sure, right? perfection is subjective. Yeah, perfection is subjective in criti- in criticism but, but, about like, art, like, right? But, but for instance, I, like art, calling something a, a perfect thing, you have to sort of put onto it for you. Because it's it, it, you know it is I, subjective. If we're thinking about the sort of uh, the broader context of your need for semantic um, semantic uh, ideation that is that is logically rational, um, I think I am mother. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, literally, yeah. I am mother. Um, I think you're weighing the word perfection uh, as as a, to have broader implications because of like if you say the word perfection here, what is it? What what is the ramification? I'm going up the definition of the word perfection, meaning but, no, but you, you, perfect. You, you even said that. Like if I say this is perfect, then what am I saying about every other film? Well, you, you have to you have to you have to measure it against other things because right. there's like the can can more than one thing be perfect? Interesting. That, I that's what I think. I think we're sort of uh, but getting... yes, but in different contexts, in right. different things. So, but again, but then you can't say. Like, so, for instance, I could say I can't say I am Mother is a perfect film right. because then that's just putting everything that I would consider a film against this and saying this is the the best most perfect one. Where I, I could say something yeah. along the lines of, but yeah, couldn't more than one film be perfect? But then when you when you do that, you're splintering what the category of perfection is. You if you're going to use words to label things, you have to use words accurately to label things. That's <laughs> okay. what I'm saying. Again, there's there's a whole emotional side of this that yeah. I'm not really discussing. Uh, but I'm I guess, talking I guess about the only the, the only thing about what you just said though that sort of I, I'm sort of curious about is that that means that there is a 
that there's a uniformity amongst films, right? Like, they're, like even it, it's a categorization, and yeah, the, and, yeah, and get, the categorization and, and how you is get about out you, of that categorization is you further subtier the categories, right? But not even subtier, but there's like a lack of uniformity. Like you know, a comedy is a different film from a science fiction film. Uh, 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 a war film is a different film. Only from, because we put as a society and with our language those values on those things. Yes. No, but there, but there, there there's a variety of things, and I, and I, I guess what I think what you're saying is is that that you can't say that a war film, for example, is a perfect film because it's a different genre to a science fiction film, which is I'll go a one further because it's a different film. Like you, the it, right. things are so you you like I'm trying to think, like, I don't think I'll ever be able to, even on this podcast or in my life, be able to accurately say the the proper thing. So if I wanted to say because I do I really like I am mother. So yeah, if yeah. I wanted to put we, it we've in, gone beyond like whether we like into I am the mother. content. No, I'm using this in the example. Yeah. yeah. Um if I wanted to try to accurately say how I thought I am mother was a perfect film, I would say and again, this is not headline grabbing or clickbaity, but I would say something along the lines of I am mother is a perfect science fiction dystopia film about robots trying to figure out the best course of humanity that I have ever seen. Hmm. That yeah. is a that's a more accurate statement yeah. to me than just saying I am mother is a perfect film. Because okay. I can punch holes in in that first one even myself if I said it. Right. Whereas if I sort of the more specific the definition or the critique or the the the, the okay, that sort so of thing is where I live. I'm going to pull up a wiki uh, Wikipedia here thing and a, and a definition of perfection going back to Aristotle, uh, which has got a three tiered um, definition, which is a which is complete, which contains all the requisite parts, which is so good that nothing in the uh, of the kind could be better. Right. Which has attained its purpose, and I think the second one is the one that you have trouble. Well, it's more with. the third one, right? The perfect, nothing could be better. Uh, that's what you. That's why you have no, no, to so put. There's, there's three, which is complete, contains all the requisite parts. Two is which is so good that nothing of a kind could be better. Oh, you, three, didn't, you didn't read the third one. I got three confused. is which has attained its purpose. Ah, yeah, I'm on two. You're on three. Yeah, I think I think I I, I think we're having a, a sort of. And we don't have time to go into the differences of, no, well, of those think, sort of things, but I, it's interesting. It's it's interesting because from a metatextual point of view, um, we're the, both correct due to Wikipedia. No, no, no. The, from a metatextual point of view, this is essentially the 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 philosophical question that I am that mother is kind of asking. Ding 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 ding. Uh, which is that no, because because she is ultimately trying to. I'm agree. Uh, get humanity towards a state of perfection, right? Like she's she's she believes that there is. The state of fiction and and like what is the threshold for perfection for her um, in this scenario and and the reward for perfection for her is the is the propagation of the species right yeah and and I think even she even sees this thing um, which is that I want to um, celebrate my maker or something like that you know like it which yep. always it reminded me of uh, uh, David from uh, Alien Prometheus oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah which is you know which is far I'll, I'll do far the, I'll do from the fingering perfect. said yeah. David yeah yeah far from perfect um, but I think I think that's an interesting question because the I think the the broader philosophical thing that you're sort of uh, getting towards is that is that nothing can attain perfection because the categorization of perfection requires a decategorization of other things right uh, that's a definitely a, a, uh, yeah. a piece of it. I, right. don't, I don't know. If, uh, I I will I will I will just come in with this, which is that I don't disagree with you on a semantic level, uh, I, and I don't disagree with you with your rationalization. I will just say this for our listeners: I Am Mother for me is a perfect film, and you should absolutely watch. There it. There we go. I I think you should watch I Am Mother as well. I think it is well worth your time. I think beyond. 
Uh, the fun little thing that we just sort of roundaboutly came back to the film due to Shahir's uh, meta-tagging meta in his own brain. Um, I think it has a lot to say, and I think you can get into fun discussions with your friends. I do wish... I watched it with people so I could talk about it right after. As I did go to bed and I was like, I was like, do I talk to Zoe, my cat, about it? I don't, that's that's crazy, right? I, I mean, Zoe is mother in this scenario. That's right? true. Like she, she's tucking you in yeah. and she's deciding whether you live or die. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, that is so true. Uh, this has been the only podcast about the film I Am Mother. Shahir, when you're just not being perfect, where can folks find you? You can find me imperfectly being emotionally unresonant towards people uh, <laughs> at my website, www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. Uh, Matt, when you are uh, trying to figure out what is perfect, uh, where can people find you? In the mirror. No, I'm kidding. I'm so kidding. Humble brag? <laughs> um, no, that's just brag. No, no, and also a lie. You can find me lying at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z, on Instagram and PSN or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, uh, shout out to the Extra Credits crew. We're doing some good stuff over there. Uh, actually, you know what? Uh, we just finished a couple weeks ago our, our extra sci-fi season on dystopias and apocalypses. And if you like the sort of thing about I Am Mother, uh, there there's a lot of different takes we do across, I believe, 10 or 9 episodes of great literary works of dystopias and and uh, and apocalypses. Uh, 1984, Fahrenheit, um, Player Piano, a bunch of good stuff. Uh, Stand on Zanzibar. There's so much, like, sci-fi is a rich tapestry of, of messing with your brain and trying to figure out the logical fallacies of the world. Uh, and uh, you should go check those out. Yeah. Uh, next week! We don't know. What are we doing? <laughs> I mean, hopefully we'll get to the farewell. Yeah. Uh, which I've heard very good things about. Hopefully if we can get some time for that. Please write us in if you have things that you want us to see. Uh, hit us up at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or, or on Twitter at onlymoviepod. Tell us the things that we might be missing on Netflix or that we should see in a theater. I really want to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Of course, we're um, going to see that. Um, there's a uh, another person I knew uh, uh, has the... Uh, uh, cinematic pod. Oh, I've got forgotten the name. Hang on. I basically, I the, the my journey with that movie is the first trailer. I was like, I don't care. And then every in thing that's come out since, I've been like, this just keeps getting me more hump, piped, uh, pumped, and I don't know. Uh Piped gets me more piped. Uh, I'm so piped right now. You're so piped. Uh, I I actually have forgotten the name of uh, the podcast, but uh, I think it's the Pure Cinema podcast there you go. Uh, with uh, uh, a, a long a friend from a long time ago who I haven't spoken to in a very very long time. But the Pure Cinema podcast uh, with Elric Kane, uh, who I went to college with, and uh, who uh, in the last week interviews Quentin Tarantino about the cinematic references for uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and you listen to Quentin Tarantino. And you realize that this man has seen more movies than oh, yeah. I think any human being could have seen in one lifetime. Yeah. And he and he's so specific about the references he knows. Like he knows he he brought up a speech from a little known Elliot Gould film uh, that and he and he he did the speech verbatim. Of course he did. And and it was I, I the it went on for a while and it was remarkable and, and you you could tell it was off the cuff like he wasn't like reading it from a list because he was he wasn't he was prompted it somewhere uh it's remarkable his film history is remarkable what well, you know we had uh, i had some some not as nice things to say about the hateful eight uh, uh but but uh, quentin tarantino gets every dollar uh from me for for all time yeah. uh yes we will definitely see once upon a time in hollywood which, which might be the week after the fall uh the probably farewell. uh also i i feel i felt bad that we didn't actually 
talk, I know we're just right back into the thing, <laughs> but uh, uh, Clara Rudgard and Hilary Swank uh, mm. also did uh, phenomenal in this film. I just It's funny because we got so wrapped up in what the film means, we didn't get into the performances. I did just want to shout that out because they... If there's any negative, not negative thing that I have to say, is like, uh, the future is all white people again? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, was, yeah no, look no that's a that's a snide remark uh, well the baby the baby looked not white okay the, the brother a cool, uh, cool. Uh, I, I doesn't but, I, I, you know, it's, a, it, it's 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 legit no it is what it is we, I, I, it was I, an I, hour and 40 something minutes of just I, white people in a robot <laughs> don't, don't, <laughs> maybe don't, it should just be called just white people in a robot just white people in a robot okay oh. if you enjoyed i am just white people in a robot <laughs> <laughs> no I, I i hate doing that thing which is like imposing a thing on it, but 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 films reflect society, yada yada yada, yeah. you know, whatever. Anywho, anywho, next so catch, week, catch us next week when we might take in the farewell. There, there's be, there'll be movies to talk about, yeah, or just one. Talk to you later. Bye bye. River, I